Hello, and welcome to Midnight Mon Pod, the Monster Apocalypse podcast after hours. My name's Garrett, and I'm your host on this trip into the miniatures game, Monster Apocalypse. Tonight, I have a very special guest joining me. It's Mr. Emmanuel Class from the Field of Fire podcast. Ahoy! How's it going, everybody? Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no, great to have you, man. So, for folks who have come into Monster Apocalypse podcasts directly through my show and not other avenues of approach here, why don't you uh, give a quick spiel about where you sit in the uh, community right now? <laughs> well, um, I've been podcasting for over a decade. Um, I started out back in the day with Charles Harrismith on Remove from Play, and we did a myriad uh, number of podcasts for War Machine, all under the Hand Cannon Online banner. Uh, we took over Hand Cannon Online and ran it for a while. Um, then it became a, a, what eventually would kind of evolve into uh, Line of Sight, and um, when line of sight took off we you know switched over and did blight makes right for a while and then i broke off and started field of fire media um field of fire media is its own branch and line of sight that's just kind of uh started absorbing people in the community and kind of getting us all working towards a common goal so we have the fire shop where we have a bunch of writers that all write um articles we have our podcasting community like garrett here who is a fantastic uh community contributor and also one of the voices on the monpoc radio show with us um i write the monpoc radio show we have our uh, riot quest radio show um typically i do an interview format where I'll bring on either a um, prof high profile player from the community or I'll bring on a privateer press employee or Matt Wilson himself. And we'll talk about, you know, whether the recent Kickstarter, what that what's going on with that, what are the new releases. Um, and I also work for privateer press in some capacities. Uh, I'm a play tester for a couple games. I'm also a developer on Monpoc. Um, some of the more recent stuff that has come out, um, like the Vegetirant Necroscourge um, epoch with uh, Karkinos and uh, Stormatovor Rex, both of those I got to kind of take from the Genesis and, and build them up. So it's been really exciting. There's a ton going on. Um, I'm also a longtime press ganger and community organizer. So I have been all over the country. I've lived in dozens of states and everywhere I go, I try to integrate into the community and get to know them. So there's a chance that, you know, if you're out there listening to this, whether it's at a game store, a convention, uh, or at a, in a privateer press insider, you might've seen um, my milk carton shot somewhere. Definitely. You you are one of the most enthusiastic members of the community. Out, out of everybody, you kind of exploded onto the scene last year with Monpoc. Yeah, um, it was a really good time for me going into COVID to try new games and to branch out. I was playing War Machine so competitively that I, it was hard for me to see anything else because I was grinding games, you know, three to five games a week, going to conventions. I was trying to hit that upper astral and I was on a top tier ATC team where like most of the players ended up making it onto the T WTC team before we even got to the ATC. Like it was a hot year for all of that. And then when COVID hit, um, I already had interest in Monpoc. I'm a longtime kaiju enthusiast and have, ever since I was a kid, like been obsessed with monsters, whether it was drawing them in my notebooks or coming up with stories for them. Um, it's my niche, right? And so when I came into Monpoc, um, I had all the fury and experience of, you know, a decade of podcasting and fire for privateer press products behind me. And um, it was also, you know, right around the time I did the interview with Oz on Field of Fire, where we talked about Monpoc. After the podcast, we talked about the game and I was playing it. 
ton of War Machine at the time, and Monpok felt to me like... Every kid dreams chess is when you're 10 years old and you're playing chess. You're like, you know, the, the complexity and the experience is there but in your imagination you know you have their your big rooks that are across the table and beating stuff up and your knights that are jumping over things it's a huge expression of that and so i was i instantly fell in love with the game and it inspired me to write the monpok radio show which you know it's it's one thing to know a game um and enjoy it it's a whole nother to dive into um creating you know fan fiction essentially and at that level of recruiting voices and like J garrett how much research have you done for me to for that show where it was like hey um so what's the actual rank of you know defender x yeah. and sky sentinel and like who's the general of the guard like all of these things we had to kind of unpack to write any of that i and went real deep on that it, too didn't i you did I needed it, though. Like, all of it is integrated into the show very deeply. Between that and then um, Matt allowing me to come in and be a developer for Monpok um, was just a huge experience for me. It's, it's It was a dream come true. Every child's dream, you know, it, when you grow up, is to do the thing you love. And for me, I've been a, a gamer since I was a child. Like, my first bus stop as a young kid was a game store, and I spent most of my time there after schools. Um, like, I used to say that gaming was my religion, and I was constantly trying to convert people to it. And the wholesomeness that gamers always stuck together and were there to just to have a good time together always encouraged me. And the Monpok community was not only um, that, but it was so much more super vibrant, welcoming, uh, a very young community for uh, the game it was. And the people were ready for more. They wanted more content. They wanted more you know, voices. They wanted more players and experience. And... It keeps growing. Like I mean, even since I've gotten involved with it, Monpok has just exploded around me and online and in the TTS. So it's been yeah. a very exciting time. Yeah, I, I love how the community is actively growing right now too. Because like we we've got different playgroups popping up all over the place around me. Like uh, I I think once my actual local game stores open up, I'm gonna be the kind of eastern Pennsylvania hub where we got people coming out from southern Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and central Pennsylvania all just, like, congregating in the Lehigh Valley. It's gonna be great. That's awesome. And, you know, we're gonna see a ton more of that as people, one, come out of the COVID bubble and go back into gaming. Um, I know that there's a bunch of people who have bought Monpok models who have only painted them and now just need the community there to play. And if you build it, they will come. Um, once organized play starts again, organized play brings so many players together. It gives you things to think about on your downtime. So for anybody out there who wants a community, that's where you got to start. Like you got to go to your groups, you got to go to your Facebook and all of that. And you got to proselyte the religion of Monpok because once you create that group, um, think of like, hey, what's next week's league? Who's your matchups and what are we playing? People are going to yeah. show up. Um, it and takes then about also, two or three people showing up regularly right. in public to just get that ball rolling. There's also something that we haven't seen in post-COVID gives us the opportunity to address some of this stuff is that there's a huge um, games bloat in game stores right now. There's tons of options, plenty of us, uh, things for people to play. And so people aren't sure what people are playing anymore, and they're trying a little bit of everything. But Monpok is a great game. Like, there's not another system like it. There's not another game like it. It is so intricate and amazing that... If you're playing it and people are adjacent to it, they're going to play their games and have a mediocre to okay time. And then they're going to look at Monpok and see even the losing player having an amazing time and go, I want that. Oh, yeah. Like, very rarely have I played games where I could be losing for a solid ha back half of the game, like very aware that I'm losing and still having a good time. Oh, um, yeah. Like, like there, there is distinct like cognitive load moments where I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I've lost this, but 
But I think if I play this, I'm going to make them have a lot harder of a time at winning. <laughs> There's a lot to be learned from the end game. Um, I would say about any, this is true about any game, the deeper you go into the game, the more you learn out of about it and sure there's sometimes like a natural conclusion of how many turns are left and how much damage can be done and you're around and play that playing it out but a lot of times there are still ways that you're like oh i did about how many steps i could try to you know create between us or how i could screen myself over this unit turn and in doing so turn the tide for the one turn you need and that I mean, like that—that's Monpok in a nutshell. I've had a so many games where I'm like, "Yes, I am winning so hard right now," and then the turn after, be like, "Oh, I am just in a bad position. I totally got jacked up," and then turn it around, and be like, "Yes, I'm in a great position," and then lose that game, and then be like, "That was so amazing! What a fun game!" Like I, it, it went back and forth. We were both in it. It's really active. Um, yeah. I never feel downtime. Like you know, even in your downtime, the little bit that you do have, you spend a lot of it thinking about like all the different options you have. It's I I get excited, man, just talking about it. I mean, the largest amount of downtime in Monster Apocalypse happens when your opponent's figuring out what they have to spawn where, and it happens yeah. on both sides because that that's where the biggest uh, little choices are. That that's where the most different choices you have to take are, and I feel like that might turn a few people off. But honestly, it's like one turn out of every uh, like three you actually have to kind of worry about it. That's games, right? You got to go in the tank in a competitive game, a one v one. You're gonna go and say, um, "How do I?" best unpack the situation and it's a math game there is a correct way to solve the puzzle you know and so i never see whenever someone goes in the tank though necessarily as downtime because that is really player maintenance time whether it is figuring out what your turns are or looking at their options and thinking about the implications of what they can do and how it affects your next turn or if it's just looking at your cards like there are tons of times where i'm sitting there and i'm just like this is my not my turn and they're thinking and i just start flipping through my building cards and i'm like oh i did not remember this did that i am so gonna use and you know you're sitting there just waiting for your turn now you're like oh my god oh my god i did the thing i found the thing i'm gonna do the thing you know and that's that's part of the excitement there's not a ton of bookkeeping and a little bit you know you find the little golden nuggets because there's almost no bookkeeping but a ton of options right yeah there's there's just so much going on that, that a lot of player agency yeah um because all the information in the game is open information. That That's, yeah. I think, the biggest chess analog. Like, pe- people are like, oh yeah, it's chess because I go, you go, we're moving on a grid. I'm like, no. It's a chess-like game because every piece of information is available to both players if they know what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a good chess analog if chess were also turned into a fighting game, right? That like you you smush those two games together because there's also and there's I guess there, there's this in chess, but it's very strong in fighting games where there are sets of maneuvers or like combinations, especially as you get to know your maps really well, where you're like, oh, I singled a double here or like I I double single here, and as you get to know those combos, you get more confident with it. If you've ever played a fighting game where you're like, okay. I understand how this character works, and so I can play in a realm of confidence with them. It's day and night from button mashing. And basically, Monpox like that. Until you get out of button mashing, everything kind of looks foggy. And then you're like, oh, I see the combos now. And then you start connecting them together, and then the skill cap comes off. Yes. Now, just to bring that particular metaphor home, button mashing can still be fun. Yeah. Um, Anytime I sit down with destroyers on the table in front of me as my army, that's where I'm existing. <laughs> um, totally. I, I, I played a game against Marin last night, and uh, <laughs> I had Tharsis and Zavod, and uh, that Ooh, was that was spicy. not not my wheelhouse. Who boy? <laughs> Tharsis is uh, a tough nut to crack. 
you have to spend a lot of games with Tharsis to get in Tharsis' brain. But once you do, like, there's some next-level stuff you can do. It it really is a pay-off experience. Um, Zavid, on the other hand, did you just, like, roll dice for randomness where you're just like, I wonder what I... You know, like, what, what, um, tell me we, about we that were, pair. We were playtesting the... Um... The, oh, the upcoming wait. power, the upcoming power gorged, uh, casual format. Okay. Where, wherein, okay. uh, you're using limited factions, but uh, th- this is not fully published yet because it's uh, li- like uh, an upcoming thing that they haven't finished uh, all the rules for yet. So we were stress mm-hmm. testing some of the rules on it. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty awesome because like instead of there being two agendas. There's functionally six. Ooh. Uh, so, so like, I was playing Invaders, which was only Martians and uh, UCI and uh, Zerkalo. So just all, all, all the robots. Forever. How are UCI Invaders? Um, because they kept the uh, split between Protectors and Destroyers. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they... Collaborators is up, up on the... Uh, protector side but you'll see it it's it's a really super interesting format because everybody is getting special global perks to make up for the fact that you were restricting yourself to like a third of your agenda so like right the one of the invaders global perks is that uh on your t- monster turns every building has electrical node <laughs> okay. and and all of your elite units have the asset assembly uh of action so you can spit oh. out any elite and have them perform the asset assembly from the uh, construction yard. It's like wacky, and I was not ready for that particular amount of uh, trying to fit the puzzle together. But it's a lot of fun, and yeah, uh, that's wild. I, I'm probably gonna get uh, like scolded for having talked this much about it, but it's, it's I'm really hyped about it, guys. Yeah, yeah. All right, so hey, let's, well, let's talk about stuff that's less secret. So the uh, Montod Radio Play, right? Yeah. Uh, I, as of right now, we're right near the end of July. The 1st of August is when we're recording Episode 3. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that you're developing for the game, how canon is the radio play? <laughs> okay. Um, none. Not at all. So... The radio play is just my own uh, fun script. I just wanted to write uh, entertainment. When COVID hit, there wasn't a lot of sense in talking about games. People weren't playing a ton. And I wasn't like super integrated in the TTS community at the time. And so I shifted to an entertainment focus. And when I wrote it, I actually wrote um, with the thought of this will just be a, a fun little side project but i've actually had the opportunity to like talk to matt about it in person and he thinks it's great like i went over the whole long arcing storyline and he was like how did you manage to create a story with that many factions smashed into it and i'm like uh, it's ambitious you know um but that has nothing to do with my actual work for Privateer Press. Like, that's not contracted. It's not something that they're asking me to do or paying me to do uh, or by any means encouraging me to do. They just kind of let me do, you know. But Fair. Um, I will say this, that I have worked on quite a bit of writing, and I write all the time. Like, I... I have a compulsion to write. I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and write. I wake up early and write. Um, I'm fixated with writing. And so if there is ever an opportunity to write Mon Pock Fluff, I'll write it. Like the solicitations for the um, Karkonos and Stromatovorce Rex and their units were written by me. Uh, Faye went in and fluffed them up for me. Uh, which was great because I certainly, you know, when it's your first time doing anything, you kind of trip forward through things and fail forward until you get it right. But it was opportunity to figure out how much of it, you know, is an end versus how much of it is in my head. Like writing all of those down and like taking out line by line this mean um, 
it's it's a really interesting process. So excited the next phase, like when this stuff starts dropping and I can come back again and talk more in depth about it. And once we see the full scope, you know, next year and the year after, I can talk in depth about it because I've spent hours and hours and hour weeks and days thinking about it uh, without ever any ability to talk to anybody about it outside of like Faye and Matt. So um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I gotta imagine that seeing the the fruits of your labors over the this process of like several months getting finally pushed out to the public has to be a uh, a great feeling because I know just you know spending a week working on one of these episodes and hearing people go, "Oh man, that mm. was awesome," uh, feels good to me. Certainly a labor of love. Like I enjoy every minute of it. There's not. Like even the bad parts are amazing and great for me. Uh, not to say that there are bad parts, but even like the pain points are great. I will say on the other side of that though that like when it comes to invested time in a radio show, the Monpoc radio shows take an exorbitant amount of time to produce. Um, and I really hope that everybody that plays Monpoc at least gives it a listen. The first couple episodes, hey, like I, I'm still learning. Like they're not perfect. I'm getting volumes right, and we're getting voices right. And voices kind of change over time as people get m- their better handle on it, or we get a better understanding of characters. But the show's going to be a ton of entertainment, and. It takes me weeks to source all the sound effects and put them in and edit all of the volume. And we get a whole crew. It's like a play that we put on on Skype and record it. And I direct it like a director, like a movie director. I mean, yep. you can tell them, Garrett. Like, what is it like absolutely. to have me direct? Um, it It's absolutely an experience because if we're not the character that's being actively mic'd, we, we all just kind of mute our mics because like we're in the little uh, text chat just cracking up on some of these voices. Like in particular, you as Olgoth. My, <laughs> my <laughs> lord, that was so hard to play seriously against. Cause Dude, like, th- your Olgoth voice was like number one, like perfect Mighty Morphin Power Rangers villain of the week. Like, and like, I I had to be like super angry and trying to kick your butt. And I I, like literally took me like three minutes to get my like crying, laughing tears out to try to (laughs) play against that. Oh, there's so much editing and cutting. Like, if you can imagine a movie, right? Every time they have to yell cut because the actors laugh cry, snort, fart, burp, or, you know, just break down because the other person is just added to their role. It's hours of editing that we cut out of these shows. And, oh boy, man, that's still one of my favorite scenes. So, talk about fun to write and then fun to record. That scene is um, a trifecta of greatness, right? So you have that scene's got a whole lot of like emotional impact mixed with comedy, and it's it's like terrible to listen to to some degree because I'm like, oh my god, Sky Sentinel's murdering people on accident. (laughs) It's not his fault, but he's murdering people. Like that that whole scene is is a ride. So what you have is you have Nova and Incinerus together and they're flying to the you know base of the big Cthulhu portal and we kind of made a metaphor for what the maps look like and so they're like heading to the drop zone where Incinerus is about to jump out of her bot and fly down. He loses his hair and his eyebrows in doing so hilariously. Um <laughs> But they had this really emotional scene where she's he explains to her that the Phoenix Helm is protecting her and him from the psychic attacks and what's going on out there. And he takes it off and puts it on her. And she, oh my gosh, man, she killed Nova kills this part because she cries, right? And I cry every time I hear it. Like, you know, no said, don't go. Oh my god, it breaks my heart. And then you know, he goes out and gives the army warrior ethos to pump himself up and jump off out of the bot and head down there. 
And then while all of this is going on, Defender X gets pulled away, you know, lured away by Olgoth. And Olgoth, like, as weird and ugly as he is, is mean. You know, he's, like, very intent on killing uh, Defender X and pulls him into this trap. Uh, and some of the, I get some of the confusion that people didn't necessarily pick up on is that earlier in the episode, um, Ivan goes to the Underdark where the uh, Subterran Empire is, and he meets with the Mole King, and they have this blood pack that Cthulhu made with their, you know, people eons ago, and he enlists them to come help him in the fight. And so this manifests later on in the fight, where when Olgoth has Defender X trapped, um, Hammerclack, no, uh, um, Plastic Plastic Cutter comes up out of the ground. And grabs his legs and yanks him under the ground. And then they proceed to gang up on him. And, like, as you can imagine, Defender X with his arms and legs trapped in the ground, they're prying his helm open, like, by cutting it with the saw and getting the wormy tentacles in there. And your delivery of that, man, it's, it's another one of those emotional ones. Because, like, you would laugh your ass off at my old goth get it clear in there and then you'd be flipping the switches and like oh man my escape pod's not gonna go like you were you were committed to it and so we i have definitely like was reading through my lines that like the day or three before uh just like practicing my my mm-hmm. like okay I'm, I'm gonna know how this is i'm gonna know how this is impacting I was wandering around Sam's Club waiting for my car's tires to be finished getting changed for like a half hour, <laughs> reading it on my phone in my mask because it's like COVID time here. And uh, like I I could just occasionally catch glimpses out of the corner of my eye. People look, looking at me like I was a maniac because I'm just, you know, like crying about a cockpit getting destroyed and uh Oh, totally, man. So doing the old goth voice and doing any of the voice, doing the subterranean mole king was fun too. Like he's all like Richard Nixon from Futurama. Um, but I would be on my way home driving in the car and I would record myself saying the lines and then I would listen to myself saying them and like try to follow along and like do different voices, you know, over the lines and stuff as I'm learning them. And when I get phone calls for work, I have to switch off of doing like, what is it? Hi, how's it going? Nice to talk to you. It's been a little while. Oh yeah, I can get that paperwork to you, no problem. Have a nice day. Too easy. (laughs) Like, you know, it, it was a lot of fun to like drop in and out of these voices and these characters. And we have such a mirrored cast of amazing voice actors. So, and, and then in that scene, like we have our third, you know, leg of this journey. Sky Sentinel is fighting it out with Yasheth and Yasheth is using his psychic vampirism to leech out, um, all of Sky Sentinel's mind basically to the point where, um, he thinks all the buildings are actually Yasheth, and he thinks all the people are Cthulhu units, and some of them kind of look like Cthulhu units because they're they used to be people who were taken over by like snatchers and stuff. And he just starts blowing them up. He's just like, you know, just leveling buildings, and everybody's watching him do it, and they're just like, "Oh my God, what just happened?" Like that guy was here to protect us and he's murdering everybody and Yesheth, man talk about somebody who was committed to their role his voice so he asked me he was like what what kind of voice do you hear for Yesheth?" and i was like um hades from clash of the titans and he went and i was like yes just like that he just nailed it on the first go that that's the voice that most nailed it before editing out of everything like Tim didn't need does, Tim does a, a great job as Cthulhu and mm-hmm. a fantastic job as uh, uh, Borgov Zavod's pilot. But the, the Yasheth voice, just before any of the editing, was like, "Oh my goodness, so good." Committed, <laughs> like that dude needed ample tea after that is done to like soothe his voice, um, and he sells it because like that. 
script, man, I got dark on that part because it's like oh, not yeah. only is he murdering him, but Yesheth points it out to him. He's like, I'm going to take away the psychic uh, veil now so let you see all the people you murdered because up to that point, Sky is obsessed with how many people he's lost. Oh, we lost 10 pilots and 8 gunners and you know 10 tanks or whatever. And then he's like, count again. How many people just watched you murder them and they thought you were the hero? And I'm like, damn, did Yasheth become like the baddest bad guy? Like, did he just go super dark on us? Well, you see, what he did was he dragged Sky. <laughs> he dragged him down. It's funny because he didn't have that rule yet when we recorded that. <laughs> he sure didn't. Um, oh. And Hammerclack joined him. So, like, we get another situation where the moles dragged the legs in and then they crunched his uh, wings so that he couldn't fly away. And so both pilots decide, well, actually, Defender X decides first that he's going to flip his uh, switch, on, his kill switch on his bot and detonate it to try to kill the monsters. Um, and Nova flies in at the like last minute right before he dies, and she uses her emergency escape uh, teleporter to save the other pilots, and they detonate their bots. But basically much to their own chagrin to find out they did nothing because the moles just buried back underground and the two uh, Cthulhu monsters went hyper. And it was like, uh, did we just put the monsters in hyper? You know, we got to go. And, and it just, like, really, that that ending just kind of like, okay, yeah, hey, the, the good guys just lost hard. Uh, it's definitely the Empire Strikes Back of the series, right? So in episode one, the good guys win, right? So Incinerus yep. goes in there. He's getting his butt kicked, but he's doing the hero thing. He's holding it in there. He's being cocky. Then Nova comes in to save him, but then they get cornered. But then the Calvary shows up again and saves them and drives away the bad guys. It's very atypical kind of kaiju superhero movie-ish, like, you know, get the hook going. And then episode two, Empire Strikes Back, like the bad guys came back in force. The plan all is coming together, and there is so much malevolence, right? So we have the Zerkalo so working with the cool, uh, with the Cthulhu. We have the moles involved in it. And so, spoiler for the future, you'll find out a, a little bit, but this is a spoiler for episode three, uh, and it sets up some of the future. Mecha Maxim's going to be introduced very soon as well. Oh man, I forgot about that particular detail because I'm not in that scene, so I haven't read it closely. <laughs> Episode 4 is going to be nuts. Um, I can give you guys some uh, spoilers for it so you have some things to look forward to. So Episode 3 turns the show on its head. Um, up to this point, it follows Incinerus as the main hero, and he has his victory episode, he has his defeat episode, and at the end of the episode, he's kicked through a teleporter, Spartan-style, by um, Ivan, and he goes falling into the prison, where he is going to come in contact with his torturers. Yeah. Um, so, just real quick, can I, can I just point out, the... the first torture scene is currently captioned in the script as torture the comedy musical <laughs> and, it is i and forgot I'm, about that it's our our russian voice actors are just so over the top great and i can't wait to be cracking up listening to that yeah, there's a lot of comedy in, in episode three. So episode one is like kind of very action-y and episode two is very drama. And episode three, it kind of brings it home with some good comedy. Um, so we start and put the whole thing on its head by introducing Hurricaneus as the heroine in this episode. Um, and so she's played by my wife, Claire. Um, so I'm really excited to also have our third um, female for the cast, and we have a lot of great voice talent who are going to be playing, like, um, I made up a character who is like an ancient um, former master of Hurricaneuses called Mother Tsunami, and Mother Tsunami uh, used to wear the armor and I, I went through and I'm uh, all of the elemental champions 
um, I gave their armors like personas. Um, for Incinerus, he has the Phoenix of Fate, and the Phoenix of Fate is um, this armor that was forged in the volcano by Master Volcanus, and its symbol is the phoenix, and that's all of his like attacks are kind of drawn on it. But it's also very much, you know, the personality of the wearer. And I, I, I don't want to say I stole, but I borrowed, uh, like any great art, I borrowed a little bit from uh, Ultraman here, where when the wheel, the person wearing the armor dies the armor goes and finds another wearer who's worthy to wear it and champions that hero. Well, in Incinerus's case, it explodes if he dies. Like It has kind of like a Phoenix protocol where if the wielder dies in battle, that he detonates and kills all the bad guys around him. Um, and so he even tries to use this to his leverage against Ivan in the end, but Ivan points out that he had to give up the helmet to be able to come down there and fight him, and in doing so was unable to stop, you know, actually use the Phoenix Pyre because he's susceptible to psychic attack. Um, so with Hurricaneus, she has the Cloud Dragon armor, and her Cloud Dragon armor is a lot like she is. It's more feminine. Um, it has a different enchantment in the helmet, and it comes up in the way she expresses her combat, which comes up in this episode. Um, we get pterosaurs this episode. I'm looking forward to the pterosaurs. Me too. Uh, I wasn't going to write a Mon Pock show without uh, dinosaurs in it. Like, Godzilla, here we go. But I wanted mine to be very different, and I think they are very different. Yeah, I mean, in the uh, the episode I recorded the other day, I, I characterized Terracon as the uh, the wise leader who's not afraid to lead from the front, like uh, Optimus Prime or uh, Goliath mm. from Gargoyles. Exactly. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing how that actually sounds sonically by the end of this, because... I think he's written exactly like that. Whether the voice actor will be able to nail him like so or not, and it here, the thing is, it's probably going to be me. <laughs> um, I have in my head how I hear him sounding, and the thing is, I write each person in the voice of that actor in my head, and so the ones that we hadn't cast yet, like Tara Khan, um, I went to other characters, so for General Norman, for example, from The Guard, the way I wrote him was I envisioned Idris Elba. In Pacific Rim, where he plays, oh, what's the name? I can't remember. It's been a it's been a hot minute. Um, uh, it's it's late enough in the day I can't remember. But on a you know, early enough in the morning, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I can't believe I forgot. His name. Yeah, tonight we are canceling the apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's in his it's the punctuated way he speaks. He has a very crisp militant way of speaking, but also in a softer way of not, you know, bop, 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 but uh, I'm explaining this to you. I'm going to take a tempered pause. I'm going to say something really important, and I'm going to lower my voice every time I do it so we get something right here at the end. Then I'm going to hit you with the passion. You know, like... It's he, funny, because that's half the way I record episodes. I take... <laughs> exceptionally long pauses because I'm collecting my thoughts to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And then I remember what I'm talking about and I come back into it. <laughs> Problem is you can't be General Norman. You're already in the scene. You yeah, no, I, I, I no point wanted to be Norman. However, I, I'm looking forward to some of his lines because that's just going to particularly the end of that scene it is going to kill me a bit to, to have to come in seriously after that line. Oh, yeah. So, and I, I've gone in, you know, over the last couple of days and embellished that line even a little bit more because oh, no. it's, it's so good. It's, it's uh, the thing is, when I first wrote that, I wasn't sure if um, Earth Knight was going to be out. Like, I had no idea the timeline of this versus the episode. I was like, we at the pace we started at, it could have been like a few weeks after we, you know, episode two. And so I was like, this could be a number of things, but it's definitely not going to be Earth Night if that's the case. And then it was like, oh, Earth Night's long out, so we're good. 
Yeah. Oh, but I think it would be like a good dressing down where you're like both like terrified for your life, but then laughing on the on the side. You're like, did he say that? Oh yeah, no, I I fully expect like Snickers from uh, Sky at that particular uh, <laughs> particular exchange because. As much as the pilots are getting dressed down in that scene for, you know, all all the uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? The snafu that happened <laughs> in episode two. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of there's at least one debriefing joke in there, so uh, <laughs> that 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 about sets the tone. Oh man, I actually I really do love that exchange. I was just thinking about it. I won't say anything about it because. When the listeners hear it, they're going to all laugh too. But that whole back and forth, if you, whether you've been in the military or not, at least once in your life you've been in trouble, whether it's with mom and dad or whether it's like at work or whether it's that one job you hated in college. Like you've all been in the, in the shit house, in the dog house, where you're like getting dressed down and then that one person has to be a smartass and say something that you know is just going to set that person off. It's like, really? Really, now's the time you say that, and so we we get one of those moments in there, and I I just I love taking experiences from like places we've been in real life and throwing it into the chaos situations that happen in these you know Monpok in the Monpok world. Yeah, it's it's a good time. Uh, yeah, and there's some intentional comedy. Like I I know that like people don't necessarily talk the way I write. But I write kind of in this like sitcom fashion because it's writing to be entertained. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was definitely a moment in episode two where we had to change one of Nova's lines mid-recording session. Yep. Because sure. um, the entire cast couldn't uh, say or hear the phrase, the term uh, "get in my cockpit." Uh, <laughs> just. Like we lost ten minutes try trying to get Mimi to say, "Get in my co- <laughs> hop in my cockpit," <laughs> with with a straight face, and uh, it it didn't happen. But this is why, right? So like everybody loves a good potty joke, and <coughs> I don't write a ton that of. That wasn't humor. even a joke, though. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> Just nobody could. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it is. Because it's intentionally written to be subliminally uh, crass, right? We know, on as listeners, when she says, hop in my cockpit, you're like, did she just say that? But, like, if she says it with a straight face, and then the other person next, you know, in the next line just hits it right off with a straight line, it could be pulled off as, like, wow. Like, you know, sometimes when you say things that are a little risque – it catches people's attention again. Like you can kind of glaze over, especially listening to a radio show or a TV show or something and not pay attention. But the first time you hear I'm coming, you're like, what is this? What am I, what am I watching? What did I, what exactly am, as your mom Hold walks in the room right? and uh... rewind this. Hold on one more time. What scene was this? Chosen oh, she's coming one. to help. Him. Okay. Got it. My mind did not, should not have processed it. Like it may, it takes you a few seconds to kind of think it over and that's fine because it, it's going to engage writers. I mean, not writers, but listeners to kind of backtrack for a second if they are necessarily following on. And if they are, maybe they just chuckle at it and they sneer. And some, I know um, even people from the cast and previous shows, like in our, um, quest radio show we're like hey this is just not an area of humor i enjoy so like just don't write me any lines like this and i totally get you know there there are some people who just find that um level of humor not appealing and not every joke is like that but just like when you're making a game you try not to make it specifically because you like it this way or that you find the, these things appealing you try to think of the players and go what do they find appealing what do they find interesting how do they think how do they perceive and as you're starting to break down these kind of psychographics of types of players and how they perceive the game and how it, you know they can be understood writing is very much the same way 
You know, you're not writing because every, you think every joke is funny. Honestly, one of the most difficult things about writing is constantly convincing myself that think I th the stuff I'm thinking of isn't funny. Like, I have to use the lazy clause a lot of times where I'll be like, but then I have to go and open the document, write this line, and then edit it, and then remember, it's going to be like 15 minutes of my time. Like, I, that could be spent, like, picking my nose. And <laughs> so that's one of the biggest struggles of writing anything funny. But then you have to go, am I appealing to a wider audience, right? Like, what are the different levels in, um, of audiences that I'm going to appeal to, and who's the target audience of my show? I know that Mon Pac is kind of on the more kid-friendly side of things, right? It's, you know, I play it with my kids. Right up until uh, me and Jeff record an episode about the dateability of all the different monsters. Right? But there's definitely, there are plenty of adults who play it. And so there's a certain level of, like, I don't want to say and not safe for work. Like, I don't put that tag on any of my stuff. I don't put explicit on it. But I certainly don't filter a ton either. So, I mean, I, I keep it so that... Uh... I, I don't leave swearing in when I post episodes because I, I know a couple of the folks in the community like nine-year-old monster apocalypse Twitch mm -hmm. stream that was mm -hmm. going for a long while there. And uh, if you're listening to the episodes I'm putting out with your kids, I'm like, I, I don't want to be the one dropping F-bombs in front of your kids. That, that Or in your game shop. Like, if you want to... If you're the kind of game shop that listens to podcasts and you're playing it and then somebody is just swearing up a storm, you can't listen to that with other people around. That's, you know... And Build of Fire has done a really good job of, like you said, catch it in the editing. You know, let people be themselves. And if I need to cut something, um, cut the... Um, I almost swore in that <laughs> line. You'd had to, You would have had to cut it out right then. Um, but yeah, I'll cut the bleep out of it. Like, I do not mind that level of censorship and that I know my audience and I control it. The Monpoc radio show has references to swearing. Like, at one point you say, Zh -zh -zh -zh, but you never get the whole line out. And it's even written like that, right? It's like, oh, with, with a, with a, with a yeah. exactly. So... We try to keep it as PC as possible because I do, I mean, like, my 10-year-old listens to it. And there are some adult themes in it. Like, there's definitely the hinted-at history. And that's this is something I do a lot. It's like, I'll hint at a history that we have to unpack later. And so there's a lot of subtlety in, like, some of the other relationships in the show and how they'll unpack and some of the different people and how they're going to be emotionally impacted by the events of the show. And so... Let's not forget the the not so subtle references to uh, drug use in, in the whole Zerk Cola thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I like I I wrote that as a, uh, a, a as a like one off. Haha, this will be funny commercial, and it uh it, it ascended in episode two. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it still but... makes me laugh, but. <laughs> I love it when there, you know, somebody has a cute idea of something to add into the world, right? Like, if we're world building constantly, giving people a frame of reference of things to like hold on to, gives you the ability to create kind of like bookmarks in it. And we've all had soda before. We've all had an energy drink. We know how it makes us feel. And plus, we know the extremes as Urkalo go to. And like that commercial really captures it well. Like these are war robots that have been recycled into drinking cans for our. Uh, super energy drink that is basically amphetamines and water and we're giving it out to the soldiers and Zavod and uh, Comcor and Voyaka, you know, they essentially have a lifetime supply of it because um, er, Voyaka and Zavod's grandfather walked into a Zerk Cola canning factory and gets canned to death and so part of it, you think these guys are crazy and they're militant and they're, but the other part is, did they get their job just because they had an unlimited supply of Zerkalo? Oh man. It like, I, I honestly, I feel like the commercials are, are the most fun part to, uh, to write because you don't write those for the most part. That, oh man. That... Chompy gone. Still my favorite. 
Oh man. Herb did such a good job recording that too. Cause like I, I wrote that and I was like, yeah, yeah, here we go. I'm like, I can't get it to sound the way I want it to sound when I was recording it. So I'm like, hey, Herb, <laughs> you, st- you still interested in voice acting stuff? Hey, c- come here and uh, re- record this for me. And yeah, uh, He nailed it. And then the music. So when you sent it to me, I did not have anything to put behind that. I was like, I don't even own music for a commercial like this. So I went online and I Googled it. I was like, uh, cheesy infomercial music. And I like, just started listening to various samples, and that one was like, oh yeah, this fits his voice tone. Like, this is the one. And when I overlaid it, I was like, it's just cheesing the whole time. So I had to, I referenced Chomp Be Gone as another, like, item in the universe in episode three, just because Chomp Be Gone. At, at some point, I'm going to write a sequel commercial um, where, where uh, are you tar- tired of those darn dirty apes messing up your lawn? From the makers of Chomp Be Gone comes Chimp Be Gone. Uh, <laughs> keep those darn dirty apes off your lawn. Like, <laughs> You know, I think with that one, I'll probably start the commercial with a sound clip from Planet of the Apes. They blew it up! They blew it all up. Uh, and then maybe end it with the down dirty apes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's one of those ones that pops through my head every like fourth day at work. Like, just, I still haven't actually scripted that out because well, we have a commercial we're recording tonight, aren't we? Oh yeah. 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 We need to do that. I didn't actually write anything down for that because in my head that's going to be a Green Fury commercial and if they're doing pirate radio in the first place, they're not scripting anything. I'm pretty sure I can wing my por- my portion of it. So all you got to do is be able to wing your portion of it and we're good. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Alright. You got any uh, good parting shots for uh, the, the Midnight Mon Pod episode here before we Run off to do other things. Um, top three. Number one, go play Monpark. Play as many games as you can. Go hit your communities up. Start leagues. Start getting people out there. Get start crush hour tournaments. Whatever you got to do. If you need price support, reach out to me. Reach out to Privateer Press. Reach out to somebody. Like, the, reach out to your shops and say, Hey, look, I want to run this event. If I get everybody to pay in ten dollars, will you give us fifteen dollars in store credit or something like work with them because if you create the the foundation i guarantee you, you the community will come it, yeah. it that is the formula i have built communities from the ground up in multiple states for multiple games and if you get out there and you're a force for your community people will recognize it and jump on board but without that nobody's going to do it and it's not going to happen you have to be the change you want to see and affect it. And I know it's like kind of preached to the death when it comes to games. They want you to go and be their champion for them and stuff. But is a time and a place when you can seize the day and make change not just for yourself, but for lots of people. And one thing that I would love to see, not just for Monpok, but for all players, is people having fun playing games. And I've never had more fun playing a game than Monpok, and most of the people I play with play, say almost the same thing. So I want everybody to share in that joy. Go out there, convert them all, have them all play. Even if you show up and it's just you and one other person, and you're playing adjacent to all the 40k players and all the War Machine players and all the Warcaster players and everything, and when they finish their games, they're going to come by and they're going to see your game. They're going to, what are you, what are you playing? What is this? What's going on here? And if you are enthusiastic about showing it to them and get them to sit down and play a game, they'll come back. They'll come back for more. They'll come back and want to play another game with you next time. They'll be thinking about it. Man, I hope I finish my 40K game early so I can get in another game of Monpok. Number two. Uh, Monpok just has a great t- table presence too. Like it, Especially if you're getting into a a shop where they you have a fair number of miniatures gamers, but maybe the it's not really a minis day and folks are in for like card flipping stuff <laughs> and it's the only miniatures game floating around because like Monpok looks great, but if you're doing your Monpok demos, but immediately in front of that is a fully sculpted 
perfectly looking uh, Age of Sigmar skirmish board where they're trying to uh, do a demo of that too. It, it uh, right. loses a bit of the impact. It depends. It definitely depends on what you're looking for. Um, and physical layouts. If if you physically can't see the Monpok models because uh, the the you know the open walkway is obstructed by the Age of Sigmar board, kind of hurts <laughs> a bit. Yep, totally. Um, so number two is listen to the Monpok radio show. You know I'm saying it because I'm the progenitor of it, and it means a lot to me. But the people involved are all pillars of this community as well. And it means a ton to them. They're putting blood, sweat, and tears to show up, you know, for free and put in hours. Many go laughing tears for sure, oh, and yeah. to make these things happen, just to you know laugh and delight our community. Like we want people to be able to enjoy it, and so show support. Go out there and tell us if you liked it or not. And discussion helps drive that show. If you think. I had such a great time listening to it. I want more pterosaurs. And everybody comes out and says, hey, I want more pterosaurs. Guess what? Be a lot more pterosaurs. I'm going to write in because, like, I'm only one episode ahead. Uh, and even that, like, I could still change it. You know, one of the things that everybody liked so much about uh, episode one was where the story was going with the Cthulhu monsters and how well the uh, guard all played together. So episode two was like, Let's just give you all the Cthulhu monsters and really get the guard, you know, going. And so we're going to keep doing that. If there's some elements you like or don't like, let me know. Same thing, like, I got a lot of feedback from episode two that the music was too loud and the monster voices were too monstery. Totally understandable. You know, it's easy to get lost in the details, and there's a lot of dialogue where, I mean... Kathugrash already ends all of his sentences with <laughs> like he just he just makes noises, right? And yep. so when that's further distorted through monster sounds, you're like, is he saying something there? I don't understand anything he's saying. But the thing is, the reality is, it's it's just like there, we we actually quote uh, what is it called uh, Raleigh in uh, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, the in the in the show, like we use. Cthulhu words and like the Cthulhu tongue. We even make jokes about it. You know, the whole Waggle-Anks fat joke. <laughs> um, it all calls back to that. So I understand. And it, it's been heard loud and clear. Um, Ivan's voice too. I get like the ghost voice was kind of hard because he monologues. He's, he's the bad guy that does a lot of speaking. And if he's got a, a weird ghost voice, He's hard to listen to. But as I'm going to show in episode three, he only has the ghost voice when he's inhabited by Cthugrash. So in episode one, he opens the book and makes the blood covenant. After he makes the blood covenant, we don't see Ivan again until we see him in the realm of chaos with Cthugrash. And at that point, he is literally just like a disembodied consciousness inside the world, world of chaos with Cthugrash. They become one, and then when he comes back and steps through the portal in the Underdark, he is now um, one with Cthugrush. So he has this like ghost voice. But in episode, just pimped his ride. Exactly, he's totally just hijacked it. He he, he Grand Theft Autoed his body. Um, in episode three, Cthugrush has to go about doing his Cthugrush things for a little bit, and Ivan is left to do um, Cthugrush's dirty work for him, and. So we get a whole episode where Ivan isn't ha going to have ghost voice. And so for anybody who's wondering why, you'll see as Cthugrash and him rejoin again, he'll get the ghost voice. It just won't be as ghosty. But that's that's what's happening with those voices. Um, huh. And the music, I try to incorporate music into every scene and every episode, not necessarily just to make it cinematic feeling, but I like to listen to the show when I'm on the road. I like to listen to it when I'm in the gym. I like to listen to it when I'm at work. And so having the music in the background is hype. It, it, it creates tension. It creates emotion. And so the music is definitely going to be continued to be integrated into the show. Um, I will lower the levels for various portions, especially for a lot of the quieter talking portions. Um, but like, I in integrated the music box um, from P Cowboy Bebop into the scene where Nova is separating from Incinerus and she's crying. 
and the music box playing in the background of that scene makes me cry. Like if that scene, I played it for who also was like, Oh man. And, and called that out. And it was like, man, that really got me right in the gut. Right. And that, it just adds that little extra, like, Oh, I was already crying, but now you've just turned me upside down. So, um, there is definitely going to be some of that. Uh, number three, this is my last, my parting shot. How do you do? Um, Garrett, thank you so much for everything you do, buddy. You are a bastion to this community, and they don't deserve you. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, not that the community isn't great, but you are outstanding, putting out content, being a good, just like positive role model, good member of the community, reaching out to people. You make the game less intimidating by being part of it. No. Thanks, man. It's not to say that you are not um, a, a great player or any of those things. Uh, I, I don't want to. I am a solid mid-tier player. I <laughs> fully admit that. Well, you. Uh, I'm a two-two player in in the average tournament. Like, let's roll. You know, uh, you say that, but you play enough games over time, and you're going to start to see the difference of. Those oh, who play lots of games and those who don't. My my um, problem is that my local meta includes some of the top tier players in the country. Uh, so oh, I get it. I totally get it. But our TTS meta includes all of them anyways. You know, yeah, so yeah, that's that, nothing that's, new. Yeah, it, it, but that's why I know where I fall. <laughs> like, yeah, two, 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 that's about right. That's fine. But your ability to reach out to players new and uh, experienced far and wide and just have a conversation and keep the things going is great. And I appreciate the hell out of that. And I exemplify it. Anybody else out there who does that as well, kudos to you. Thank you for what you guys do for the community, what you all do for the community. It's invaluable. And every one of you is not just important, but going to be the difference in whether this game makes it to the future or it's a game we all sit around and talk about like we do the first edition of it the players make a difference. It's not the developers. It's not the game itself, even. It's not the cool models. It's not the great rules. It's all about the players. And so thank you all for what you do. Thank you for playing and continue doing so and just be positive because if you are and you're welcoming, people will land in our community and we will we'll be the home for everybody because it's, yeah. it's a game for everybody. And so, uh, again... Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, community and listeners. Uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you, man. All right. So this is uh, the, the ending of the episode here. Um, for folks who have come in through my show and, and not encountered Emmanuel stuff, uh, Field of Fire is currently also hosted on Line of Sight. It is, uh, I will make sure there's links to all of the relevant episodes that we've mentioned here in the episode notes or description or what have you here uh because honestly plenty of great content coming out of field of fire you mentioned the fire shop earlier where uh, a bunch of the other uh community members have written mm -hmm. articles about uh getting into the game or competitive aspects or uh, shout out relock shout out tech shout out marin Shout out Gearbox. Am I missing yeah. anybody? Uh, I know Jeremy's on the list, but I'm not sure he's published any articles yet. Shout out Garrett. Hey, it's me. But yeah, so uh, loswarmachine.com slash field of fire. I'm guessing. I'm not sure where the hyphens go. I will absolutely have the correct hyperlink in the episode description here, guys. But uh, de definitely check out Emmanuel's show definitely uh check out some of the articles the rest of the fire shops put out uh there's a youtube channel yeah uh, yeah so uh, um, the fire brian, feed the flames that's the one uh brian sin from mr malorian um he has his own youtube channel and i reached out to him and said hey i'd like field of fire to start breaching into youtube content would you like to be our first creator and he jumped on it, and he's been doing it. And it's the most unforgiving. Like, to build a, a, a another network, another platform from the ground up is, is sucks. 
and the fact that he still makes content for it, even though we haven't had tons of viewership already, is tough because his stuff is amazing, and he puts a lot of heart into it. Um, and I invite other people, if you are a writer and you want to be a writer for the Fire Shop, eh, reach out to me because we can get you in the Fire Shop and online a site. If you're a YouTube creator and you want to create content for YouTube, I invite you to come be part of Field of Fire, and I will get you plugged in on our channel. If you are a podcaster and you want to be like Garrett and I and give your opinion unsolicited, then reach out to Garrett because I don't want to have any more podcasters. I have enough. Just kidding. Uh, you, can, you can reach out to me as well. But uh, I encourage you to make as much content as possible. And we want to be a bridge, a stepping stone, a launch pad, whatever it is that will encourage you to do so. Because the more digestible content people have to look at and think about during their downtime, the more players will be engaged in the game. Because, you know, you can spend all the time playing, but if you don't have anything to do during your downtime to keep you engaged in the game, it loses some of that honeymoon phase. And so by being a contributing part of the community, you are literally contributing to the joy and honeymoon of the game for other people. So, you know, shout out all those content creators. All right. So uh, with that, thank you again, Emmanuel, for being on the show tonight. This has been Midnight Mon Pod, the Monster Apocalypse podcast after hours. I've been Garrett. I've been Emmanuel. Still am. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, folks. Catch you around. Midnight Mon Pod, Mon Pod, Mon Pod. Midnight Monpod is part of the Line of Sight Network, loswarmachine.com slash midnight-monpod.